0: Our scripture reading today comes from John, chapters 19 and 20. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to follow along with me. And if you don't have a Bible, we would love to make sure that you leave here this morning with one so you can find them through the doors just on your way out of the sanctuary. Again, our reading begins with John, chapter 19. It will be in verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, skipping down to verse 11 of chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Dana. Uh, good morning, Christ community. Good to see you all. Uh, my name is Reed, and I serve as one of the pastors here uh, of Christ community. It's a joy to be with you this Easter Sunday. Uh, before we jump into our, our text this morning, uh, I want to pray for our time as we, as we continue on. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of your son and by the power of your spirit to ask for you, Lord, to, to bless the teaching of your word. Lord, it is this day that that we are reminded that death has been defeated, that sin has been forgiven, and it is that hope that we stand firm upon. So, Lord, I pray that you would show us this hope and truth in new and fresh ways. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your truth, and may we walk in resurrection life in the power that you have given us through Jesus Christ, O Lord. It is in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, it is uh, good to be with you all, and uh, if this is uh, your first time with us on a Sunday morning, we are glad you're here. Uh, If you are a regular attender, just so you know, yes, I tied this tie all by myself. And so (laughs) it took hours and countless YouTube video tutorials. Um, No, but it truly is. It's a joy to be with you, to to celebrate Easter Sunday, uh, the resurrection of Christ, the defeat over sin and death through the power of God who raised him, and that same power that is at work in those who trust in Jesus today, this is what we celebrate. But, but even as I say that, there, there's still probably this sense in which, and some of us, we're probably thinking, yes, okay, Jesus rose from the grave, I get that, sure. But I lost my job this year, my, my marriage is crumbling, uh, I'm failing chemistry right now. I, I, I suffer from crippling anxiety and depression. Like, like, yes, Jesus rose from the grave, but I still have serious problems and pain and shame in my life. And, I mean, you know, when we look around, you know, there's a lot of nice-looking people here, and, and we're dressed up nice, or ready for a nice brunch, nice for or ready for a nice little photo shoot on a nice Easter day. But beneath all this pastel niceness, we find heavy hearts, we find anxious minds, and we find weary souls that have been weighed down by problems of all kinds. Whether they're relating to the things in our family, at work, uh, relationships, whatever it is, we all cannot stop thinking about some of the problems that are facing us. And so as much as we want to even celebrate Easter Sunday, it's hard to let go of and forget about the problems that all await us on Monday. And so yes, Jesus rose from the grave. Yes, the tomb is empty, but my inbox isn't. You know, like yes, Jesus paid the penalty of my sin, but I have mounting credit card debt. Sure, Jesus conquered the the grave and defeated death, but I still feel defeated by this overwhelming sense that I'm not good enough in virtually every arena of my life. Jesus rose from the grave. But what does this have to do with our lives today? And it's this question that I want us to think about and to consider, but to do so, we actually have to see the Easter story in its fuller context. It's more than just the empty tomb. And in fact, I mean, Easter is more than, for sure, cheap chocolate and creepy bunnies and awkward family photos, if you know what I'm talking about. I think we've got a creepy family photo, maybe. Uh, look at it, look at that, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> this, you will not be able to sleep tonight. Uh, But but more more than just being creepy bunnies and awkward family photos, the 90s were weird, weren't they? We can just all agree to that. But Easter is more than also just the story of the empty tomb. Like like every good story, the story of Easter has a more profound meaning to it than what we might see at face value. But also like every good story, the beginning to the story of Easter actually goes back further than what we may realize. In, in a similar way, when, when people ask me about how I met my wife, Megan, uh, you know, the simple story uh, is that we met at K-State, the promised land. It's a wonderful place. Uh, but we met in college at K-State. And, and, and we, you know, after, you know, we dated for a while, and then after nine attempts to propose to her, she finally said yes. Uh, just kidding. It was seven. Uh, but, but, it, but, but truly, the story of how Megan and I met actually goes back even further than that. Because when we started dating, we found out that our parents had met before. Shortly after I was born, my parents put our house on the market. And who would come and look at that house but Megan's parents. And I had just been born. Megan's mom was pregnant with her. So you could say that we kind of met uh, at this house. And and that house was in Old Olathe on Lula Street. And that is actually the name of our first child, Lula. Which is, that's kind of the the, the grander story. I'm so thankful I wasn't born on 119th Street. It should be a terrible... (laughs) Terrible name for a child. So, um, but truly, like I said, the simple stories we met at college, but the grander story is that it begins way back when. In the same way, the story of Easter, yes, it is the story of the empty tomb, but to understand the fullness of the story, we must go back to the beginning. Now, as a church, we've been journeying through the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. We've been doing so for the last eight weeks or so, and we haven't gotten out of, believe it or not, we haven't gotten out of the first two pages. So we will finish uh, uh, Genesis probably by next Easter at this rate. Um, but what we, I want to do this morning, to see the Easter story that we heard kind of beginning in John chapters 19 and 20, I want us to see the fuller context by actually going back to the garden in Genesis. Genesis. To see the full wide scope story of, uh, of, of Easter, we have to see that the story of Easter is actually a story of two gardens. We saw that in John's gospel, uh, to understand this fullness of the empty tomb in one garden, we saw, as John, we heard, read for us, there's an empty tomb in one garden, but to understand what that empty tomb means, we must go back to the first garden, the Garden of Eden in Genesis. Now to bring us up to speed, I'm going to sum up the first two chapters of Genesis, basically in saying that there's a good and glorious God, and he created a good and glorious world. And that world points to his goodness and to his character. In God's world, there is nothing that is out of the ordinary. Everything is perfect, everything as it is, ought to be. There's no death. There's no shame. There's no sin. There's no sorrow. There are no lines at Chipotle. Everything is perfect in God's created world. But as we turn to Genesis 3, we discover the root of all of our problems, the fundamental issue of what creates all of our pain, all of our sorrow, all of our grief and regret. And as we turn to Genesis 3, we find that we are our greatest problem. We are our greatest problem. So happy Easter. You're all terrible. That's, that's the story. Go in peace. Have a great week. No, but, but really, this sounds like it's, it's terrible news, but I, I guarantee you that it's actually good news. When we understand the depth of what it means that we are our greatest problem, we actually find this to be good news, and I'll explain why. Now, in Genesis 2, uh, we see uh, that God has given humanity free reign to enjoy Him and to enjoy His creation, literally to enjoy everything He has made with the exception of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From this tree, God says, you shall not eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, surely you will die. And that tree is precisely the tree that Adam and Eve go after and enjoy the fruit of. And in chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 6 and 7, we see the account of the origin of brokenness, shame, death, and sin. In verse 6, we read, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths." Now, we we will actually cover a little bit more of Genesis 3 next week as we continue on in Genesis, but I want to unpack a few things here because my guess is hearing that story read, which is kind of strange showing up on Easter Sunday reading from Genesis, but when we hear that story read, there are some of us, I'm sure, are thinking, like, really? Like, that's your best attempt at explaining why we have cancer and war and racism and poverty in our world? Like, th- this is your best attempt to, to explain and give a justification for why we lock our doors at night and why we bury our loved ones? And I get that. that that's, a, that's a fair critique and response because at face value, this seems like an overly simplistic, reductionistic way of understanding the origin of evil. And I get that. And, 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 and one person who I also know who gets this is a singer and songwriter. His name is David Bazan. Uh, he was the lead singer of actually a Christian band called Pedro the Lion. Uh, these are the names of the bands that I listen to. So, uh, but he was actually, slowly over his musical career, drifted away from the faith. And he began to not only stop singing about faith, he actually began to start singing songs that critiqued the faith that he once held dear. And one of his songs is called Hard to Be, and he points out his critique and his view of this seemingly ridiculous narrative of the origin of evil. And this is what Bazan says. He says, wait just a minute. You expect me to believe that all of this misbehaving came from one enchanted tree? And helpless to fight it, we should all be satisfied with this magical explanation for why the living die? Now, my guess is that some of you resonate with that, like, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that seems like a ridiculous explanation for why evil exists. And, and I'll be honest with you, this, this is perhaps one of the greatest points of tension and doubt that I have struggled with in my own journey of faith as a pastor and as a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but, but pastors wrestle with doubt as well. And while I haven't, like, solved the, the tension of this text I do want to share kind of the ways in which I have come to find that this is actually a compelling narrative for why we find the problems and the predicament we're all in, in the sense that we are not and the world is not how it ought to be. The issue at hand here is not that Adam and Eve have disobeyed by raiding God's like secret snack stash. Like it's not like he's like, I, like you just ate my cookies. I'm really hungry. Like that's that's the overly simplistic way of thinking about it. It's not just that they have disobeyed a simple command. What's really going on here in Genesis 3 is that as God says, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When Adam and Eve do this, what they are essentially declaring is this, God, we no longer need you nor want you to define what is good and evil for us. We will do that on our own. Thank you for all of the work, thank you for this wonderful world, but I am now going to take over, the, take the reins of this position of saying, I know what is truly good and truly evil. I know what ultimately promotes human flourishing and what ultimately brings about human destruction. This is the origin, or original sin and what continues to be our subsequent sin, the fact that we think we know what is best and that we think we possess the power to define what is truly good and what is truly evil. We fired God from this position and we hired ourselves in his place and we're terrible at this job, okay? I mean, I've had a lot of jobs in my life that I've been terrible at. Some of you are like, maybe the one you're in right now, but uh, just, just kidding. Uh, but, but truly, and actually, there's a story for another sermon, but I've been fired from every job I've had when I was in high school Like, I had multiple jobs. Every one of them I was fired from. Another story for another day. But all of us have had jobs that we should have been fired from. But no job are we more deserving of being fired from than the job of being our own God. This job we are terrible at. This job we should be fired from, but instead we continue to promote ourselves and give ourselves raises in this position because we think we know what is best and that we ultimately know what is truly good and truly evil for all of humanity. And this produces chaos. When you have a world filled with people who are functionally their own gods, who are essentially kind of believing that I can determine what is right and good for myself, you can determine what is right and good for yourself, it produces chaos. And when you have these mini-gods living in this world, deluded by the idea that the problems of the world are outside of us, and the solutions are found within us, that just compounds the chaos. And so again, we can write off the story of Genesis as this kind of old antiquated story that has no relevance to our world, but, but wouldn't you agree? That we do not possess the kind of infinite knowledge to know what is truly good and truly evil for all things, all people, all places at all times. And that the problems in the world are not just outside of us, like in those people, but it is found within all of us. This is fundamentally the issue that plagues us. In his grand work, The Gulag Archipelago, the Russian historian and novelist, who himself was actually a prisoner in the Russian gulag, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he says this in describing the fundamental problem of humanity. He says, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, if only. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? What Solzhenitsyn is saying, and what I believe that Genesis 3 is declaring to us, is that we are our greatest problem. But we will not find or recognize uh, any kind of path towards a remedy to this until we understand this. If we deny that we are our greatest problems, we will find ourselves on a perpetual path of unending problems thinking that the solutions are found within us and the problems are outside us. And the remedy to to what plagues us, it does not begin with us trying to be better people and trying to be nice and be more obedient. Instead, it begins with us staring our sin and darkness and evil right in the face and refusing to look away. It begins with admitting and understanding that we are our greatest problem And that the first step towards finding any kind of remedy to what plagues us is recognizing this truth. This is why I said it's good news. But if we remain delusional and naive to what ultimately plagues us, we will find ourselves in this perpetual path of unending problems. And so the story of Easter really, in its broad scope, shows us first that we are our greatest problem. But as the, as the Genesis account goes on, we see that also, as a result of this, death is our greatest consequence. Death is our greatest consequence. Now, I, I, I by no means want to diminish or make insignificant the problems that you and I all face in our lives. I mean, all, I mean, some of us are carrying some weighty, significant pains and sorrows into this Easter service this morning. But I think we would all agree that of all of the consequences that have been produced by human rebellion against God, the greatest consequence has to be death. The problems that you and I are burdened with by, by life right now, they may look different from those who you're sitting next to. But all of us face the consequence of death. There's no denying that. There is a day that is coming for all of us that will mark the end of our days. And and I know what I'm saying isn't news to you, you know, like, like if this is how you found out that you weren't immortal, I'm sorry that this is the day that you discovered that. But truly all of us know that death awaits us all. And even though we're cognitively aware of it, we don't functionally live as though that's true. Some of us for sure do. But by and large, we functionally live our lives day to day thinking that death is just this kind of thing out there that will happen, but it's not really before me. I I, I deny its reality sometimes. We avoid it. We ignore it. We downplay the inevitability of it. We see this even in our funeral services. Like, we just don't even know what to do with death, especially funerals where, where a person does not know Jesus. We have a bunch of nice memories that are shared. We share some nice photos. We have a nice luncheon, and that's it. Like, I mean, is this enough to deal with the major consequence, the greatest consequence that sin has brought about? Death is so strange to us, and and deep down, I I think when we think about death, while we know that death is inevitable, there's also this sense in which we feel within our bones that death ought not to be. You see, it's not just that we look at death and see it's, it's bad and it's wrong and we should avoid it, but we look at death and we feel as though it shouldn't be here. It's not just that death is an un- unfortunate reality, it's that death feels like an uninvited and unwelcome guest in this world. It's not just that it's an evil reality that we, that we don't want, but it feels like an unwelcome guest in this world. I mean, just earlier this week, I was at a funeral for a young child. And as I sat there in this service, grieving along with this family, Yes, I was was overwhelmed by the sadness of the loss of precious life, But, but also within me, there was this deep sense that this shouldn't be. Not just because life has ended early, but because death is not supposed to be a part of God's good world. Death is something we despise, not just because it marks the end of life, but because we know and feel and sense that it was never meant to be a part of this world in the beginning. It's not just that death marks the end of life, it's that we feel that it was never meant to be in this world in the beginning. Death was never intended to be a part of God's good world. But here is right where the story of Easter begins to be displayed, even in the opening chapters of Genesis the story of Easter begins to be foreshadowed as God is declaring over humanity, over creation, and over his great enemy, the devil, he's declaring the consequences of sin, the punishment that is to be brought about, and in the very same breath as God is declaring, death has entered the world, sin is now reigning in this broken universe, he also in the same breath declares the hope that death will not have the final word over his good created world. In the very same breath, God declares in Genesis 3 what is referred to as the first gospel. It is a foreshadow, it is a preview, if you will, of the full feature film of Easter. In Genesis 3.15, we read these words as God is speaking to his enemy, the devil. He says this in chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, far from this being the origin story of why all of us are terrified of snakes, inherently, you know, uh, this story is actually telling us something about God's plan to eradicate death and sin and evil once and for all. It is, as I said, the preview of the full feature film of Easter. In this moment, God is promising that one will come born of a woman— who will enter this world, who will bruise the head and crush the head of every enemy that plagues us, namely sin and death, our greatest enemies. And in so doing, he will defeat them. Perhaps one of the best depictions of what is going on in Genesis 3 that I have come across is a painting by Sister Sarah Remington. It depicts for us the picture of the sin that has entered the world through Adam and Eve, encoiled by our tempter, but what we also see is that Eve is looking forward to the day in which the one will come born of a woman who is the promised snake crusher, the one who will be bruised by the cross but will ultimately defeat death in his resurrection. The one that God is speaking of is the one who would be born to die so that death itself would be put to death once and for all. Friends, the story of of Easter, the story of Easter truly is the story of two gardens, It is the story of how death was birthed in one garden, and it leads to the story of how death was put to death in another. Genesis 3 is painting a preview for us in what we heard read in the Gospel of John. And so yes, while we are our greatest problem, while death is our greatest consequence, what we celebrate and why I put on a tie this morning is because Jesus, through his resurrection, through the Easter story, is our only and greatest solution. The story of Easter takes us from the garden where death was birthed into the garden of the empty tomb where death was destroyed. Jesus, the promised snake crusher who went to the cross on our behalf to suffer in our place, to pay the penalty of sin that we could not pay, is the same one who entered and exited the grave, conquering death once and for all. And it is this very one who Mary was weeping over, hoping that she would find As we turn to John chapter 20, verse 11, we read these words as Mary, filled with hopelessness and despair, comes to the tomb and finds that it is empty. In verse 11, we read these words, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. With tears in her eyes, Mary just stares into the darkness face to face with our greatest enemy, death. And as she is in this moment all alone, feeling despair, feeling as though evil and death has won once and for all, she turns and her eyes are now locked with the one in whom she had hoped. But as John records for us, Mary doesn't recognize that it is Jesus whom she is speaking with. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I can't help but see God's beauty and his creativity in the way in which he has led John to pen these words about Mary's encounter with Jesus. Did you notice who she thought he was in that moment? Mary suspected him to be the gardener because they're in a garden. And in some ways, what Mary has said and concluded is actually incredibly truer than she could realize. Because the one she was speaking to the one she thought was the gardener, was the very one promised in that first garden who would come to crush and destroy death itself. This gardener that Mary is locking eyes with is the one promised all the way back in Genesis 3. But even though she can't see, like whether it's because tears are just filling her eyes and she can't make sense of, of who is standing before, or whether she's so overwhelmed and distraught by despair and hopelessness, she can't make sense of the fact that this gardener is the one promised in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus breaks through and he speaks to her heart and he does so in the most beautiful way, the most simple way, by just uttering her name. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In this moment, Mary is now face to face and heart to heart with the creator of life, the defeater of death, and the Lord of all, and she knew it was him because he said her name. She had heard him say her name hundreds of times, but this time, almost as if it brought about a new life that she didn't experience before. In this moment, Mary is face to face with the defeater of death. Mary is face to face with the one who conquered the grave, who rose victoriously over death so that it would never plague us again. Assuring and justifying that, that our forgiveness through Christ is accomplished through what Christ did on the cross. And in this moment, Jesus is offering and inviting Mary and all of us into a new creation life found only in Him. And He did so, He did so through the most beautifully backwards way imaginable. It was through His death that Jesus brought life, it was through His seeming defeat that He brought victory. It was through being crushed himself that he crushed sin and death definitively for us. As the beautiful hymn writer declares, by weakness and defeat he won a glorious crown, trod all our foes beneath his feet by being trodden down. He, Satan's power laid low, made sin, he sin overthrew. He bowed to the grave and he destroyed it so, by death, dying, he slew. That's where you say amen. Come on now, Jesus is risen, death is defeated, and this victory is for all who are in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of Easter. Yes, the story of Easter is an empty tomb, but it goes back to the first garden where we see the problems originating, where we chose to be our own God, and by doing so, we fired God and tried to be our own, and that produces all of the chaos we find. But thanks be to God that as He is declaring in that first garden the curses that are upon all of us, He simultaneously promises that this death will not have the final word. Friends, this is the good news. This is why we gather Sunday after Sunday. This is why we follow Jesus day after day. We, we don't gather in this place and sing songs because we love Patrick's voice, although we love Patrick's voice. We don't gather to hear mediocre sermons time and time again. We gather because we follow the one, trust in the one, delight in the one who defeated death. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. That is why we trust in the name of Jesus, the only name that is able to do anything about the problems that plague all of us. Easter is the tale of two gardens. But the question that all of us have to ask ourselves is this Which garden are you in? Which garden will your life be planted and bloomed in? Will you find yourself in the garden of despair, where you are your own God, where you have fired God from that role of being the one who defines good and evil? Or will you find yourself in the garden that Mary found herself in? The garden of resurrection, the garden of victory, the garden where death is defeated. You see, I think all of us long to experience what Mary experienced that first Easter morning. I think we all long to to hear our creator, our redeemer, and our Lord say our name in tenderness and love and call us to himself. He, we all long to hear him say our name and so that we might know that we are his now and forever. We long to stand face to face with the one who is our only hope in life and death. And so the question is, will you listen to him? Will you trust him? Will you follow him and know that he is your only hope in life and death? For his death and his resurrection is our greatest and our only solution, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you with with a wide range of, of emotions and feelings and backgrounds. Lord, all of us feel and experience the brokenness that we are our greatest problem. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that in new and profound ways, that we would see the depth of our sin. But Lord, in so doing, would you also in that same moment show us the greater depth and greater power of your ability to forgive us. Lord, as we think about how death awaits all of us, May we come to see that through the resurrection in Christ Jesus, there is hope beyond the grave. There is life everlasting with you. Lord, may we see Easter, the victory of Jesus over sin and death, as our only and greatest solution. Lord, we want to follow you, to know you, to walk in your ways. May your spirit teach us and show us what it means to trust in you, our great victor over death itself. It is because of your power, because of your love, because of your grace, that we gather and worship you. May we celebrate and rejoice in who you are and what you have done on our behalf. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. That was beautiful. Well, for centuries, followers of Jesus, as they have gathered on this day and what it represents, have declared victoriously together that Christ is risen, and the people respond, he is risen indeed. And so, brothers and sisters, Christ is risen Amen, amen. Truly, it is a joy to celebrate with you uh, this morning. And uh, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, if, if you are new or a guest, you're looking for a church to join, to be a part of, we call you, we, we invite you to be a part of this resurrection community. As we seek to follow Jesus faithfully, as we seek to move the mission forward that he has called us to, we would encourage you to join us. So we'll be here next Sunday, and we'll be here the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, and so we'd love to have you celebrate with us. Uh, we also have something called a Newcomer Coffee that's on May 5th and Tuesday during our 10.30 service, if you're interested to learn more about who we are as a church you can check that out. And so truly it is a joy to celebrate on this Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I wanna read our benediction, our good word for the road as we leave this place. Uh, One last thing, if you're interested, it's a great day for photos. If you're looking for a place to take photos with friends or family, you can go upstairs. Our pastor, Jonathan Van Monnen, is gonna be up there. So if you you wanna avoid doing this weird selfie thing with your family, you can head up there and he'd gladly take your picture free of charge, no tips, okay? Um, But hear these words uh, from the book of Hebrews, our benediction, our good word for the road. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great day.